Well, good morning. Uh, if you're <clears throat> just now first time visiting with us, um, my name is Kevin Webb. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lakeview. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 10. We'll read that in just a moment. Uh, one thing we meant to mention earlier in the service, um, that uh, just to remind you that uh, Brother Adam and some of our musicians, a number of chaperones, and pretty much all of our youth are currently uh, in Cincinnati uh, for their, their choir tour. I think they come back Wednesday. Yeah, and they've been doing a lot of good ministry, and just keep them in your prayers uh, for the first half of this week. And it, they're doing important work. Hebrews chapter 10, our focus this morning uh, is, is going to be on just a portion of that chapter, verses 19 through 25. We'll, we'll read it in, in just a moment. Before, um, before I dive into it, I want to recall just a bit and sort of set the stage why, why I chose this to, to think about. Um, something that, that Pastor Brian said, what his message that he brought us last Sunday from John chapter 6. Um, if you have not heard that, sermon, uh, I encourage you to listen to it online or on the podcast. It was a deeply, deeply encouraging sermon. Um, uh, and I was thinking about that sermon. I was thinking about how, you know, it might be a smooth transition from what he said last week to what I might say this week. And, and I was thinking about the truths and the applications that he made from that portion of John 6 about how the Lord's sanctifying strategy in our lives uh, is very often to bring, bring us into storms um, and in, in those storms to make us very keenly aware if we were not already of our absolute reliance on Him, dependence on Him, our helplessness in ourselves. And, and in that, then He's going to very clearly remind us of His Lordship and of His provision and and, and satisfaction. And that is, it is in that struggle and in that process that he brings us into maturity and Christ-likeness. It was one particular application under that point, though, that stuck with me. And he, uh, he said that often uh, some of those storms that he brings us into uh, involve other people. And, and, and it could be uh, relationships or people that are just hard to get along with or that just just difficult relationships and and he, and he said that uh, very often that those are found relationships within the church um, and 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 it's it's in this it's through that conflict with with others that that arise from time to time in the church and the resolution of that conflict that um because we learn how to have to, to, res to resolve those conflicts, we have to lay down our own lives, lay down our own desires, our wants, the way we think things should go or how it should happen, you know, lay down our lives in that way and learn to love and forgive when it's hard to love and forgive. It's in that kind of struggle with relationships, especially in the church, that the Lord sanctifies us. It's that kind of storm. And so for me, and I hope for you, it was, it was a good reminder, even in that sermon, of the, of the, the non-negotiable necessity of the local church in the life of a Christian. Um, for the growth of a follower of Christ 
to grow into maturity in Christ. And that's the truth I want us to consider this morning. I want us to consider for a few minutes the necessity of the church, the local church, like this one, in the life of a Christian. I hope that, that some, of, some or maybe even all of what I'm going to say will simply be rehearsal for many of you. I don't know that I'm necessarily going to be breaking any new ground. In fact, you don't want to go to a church that breaks new ground. It keeps coming back to the old ground is what we want. Um, these things may be things that you already know, but I hope and pray that it will still be a good encouragement to you and admonition to you. Even, even the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 told them early on in that book that he knew the things that he was writing to them were things that they already knew, things that they were already deeply established in. But he said his aim in telling them anyway was to stir them up by way of reminder. And reminders are good for us. And, um, and that's my aim this morning. Here's how I'll begin. With the rarest of exceptions. And by rare, I mean uh, you, you happen to live in a place where you are the only Christian and there is no church. I mean, places like that exist, uh, unfortunately. But it, with that rare exception, outside of that rare exception, uh, and that applies to none of us currently sitting here today, you, I'll, I'll say this, you can fully grow in Christ only to the degree that you are committed, a committed and an involved member of a local church. Um, I, I think that's the clear teaching of the New Testament. In fact, it, could, it might be, yeah, we'll add another layer to that. Maybe it's a little stronger. I believe that it is true that you can only fully uh, grow into maturity in Christ to the degree that you are a committed and involved member of a local church, but it could also be true that you can be confident of your relationship with Christ at all in many ways to the extent that you are that. Now, I hope to explain what I mean by that. Mark Dever, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., wrote this. He said, many Christians in our culture tend to view their Christianity as a personal relationship with God and not much else. They generally know that this personal relationship has some implications for how they should live, but I'm concerned that many Christians don't realize how this most important relationship with God necessitates, and I want you to underscore that word, necessitates a number of secondary personal relationships. Relationships that, that, that the relationships that Christ establishes between us and His body, the church, God doesn't mean for these to be relationships that we pick and choose at our whim among the many Christians out there. Now, that, that might, some of your closest friends in this world might fit into that category, and those are good and necessary relationships, but not merely those. He means to establish us in relationships with an, with an actual flesh and blood, step-on-your-toes body of people. I am, I am grateful. I really am. I, 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 I've been a part of this church 
uh, in total for a, a number of years. I had some middle years that I was gone, but going all the way back to the end of 1998. I've been in this church, and I'm really, really thankful and grateful for the vibrant health of this church. Um, in, 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 in this many people, there may be some here, maybe, maybe visiting, um, and, but I know that there are certainly scores of evangelical Christians out there who would amen that statement I just read, but whose practice doesn't line up with it. Um, they, still, they still think of um, the Christian life predominantly in individualistic terms. Um, and they may enjoy attending church. I, don't, I'm, I might want to just get rid of that language altogether. Attending church church they, 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 they might think but but investment is minimal but this is the clear biblical reality God isn't just saving you and me he's saving us he's saving us he's saving a people and I want to talk for just a few minutes this morning about why God, why God has designed it in such a way that the church is not just an important aspect of your life and walk with Christ. It is absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. That apart from it, apart from being a committed and invested member of a local church like this one, apart from that, the chances are higher of being like the seed in Jesus' parable of the sower that, the, that was sown among the thorns, uh, that Jesus said was like a person who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Or like, sadly, the man Demas that the Apostle Paul said in the last chapter of the last letter, known letter of his earthly life, Paul said Demas had left him and gone to Thessalonica. Why? Because he was in love with this present world. Easy to do. Easy to do in sinful hearts like ours. God has designed the, the, your Christian life and mine so that, as Mark Dever put it, we need to have around us all the time, uh, very intentionally so, flesh and blood, actual flesh and blood, step on your toes kinds of people. The local church, like this church at Lakeview family, is full of people just like you. As well as being full of people who are not like you at all. Not like you in the slightest. Why has God designed the church this way? So that you, me, every believer has the opportunity on a weekly basis, at the very least, to die. To die to ourselves, die to our desires, and learn through that to love and to serve just like Jesus did. And I want to think about three basic reasons why being a committed member of a local church is absolutely necessary in your Christian life. I want to see three reasons from Scripture why God tells us it's necessary. So if you found Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bible, we'll look at just a few verses in the middle of the chapter. Maybe you're already familiar with them. I hope they are, but you are, but they are important. Uh, verses 19 to 25. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, what, what we just read and every other scripture passage that we will make reference to in these next few minutes, Lord, we confess is your holy, inspired, inerrant, um, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. For without this word, we cannot know fully you and your ways. So, Lord, this being what it is, would you please give us eyes to see the truth afresh today? These are all, these are going to be things that I am confident many of us in this room are already familiar with. Would you, as I've already prayed once this morning, would you help us break through the familiarity and see fresh the truth you have us here, for us here? Would you give us eyes to see it? Would you give us minds to understand it clearly? Would you give us hearts to embrace it and love it and see it as important? Would you give us heart, uh, wills to obey and put into practice what it so clearly admonishes us to do? Would you give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us through the Word, and would you give me the help that I very desperately need to teach this passage today? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to give most of our focus to the exhortations in the latter part of the passage we just read. And as I said, there are three of them. I'll go ahead and tell you. They're not going to be on the screen. I'll go ahead and tell you what they are just so you have a layout of what's coming. We'll get to them one by one. The three the three truths that I want us to see here is, is this. Number one, God has designed the local church to confirm your faith. God has designed the local church to confirm your faith. I want to see that in verse 22. Another thing, God has designed the local church to guard your faith. That's verse 23. And lastly, we'll see God has designed the local church to give you the opportunity to practice your faith. That might be the clearest point of all of them in verse 24. And what I want us in particular to notice is that all three of those admonitions, I believe, is ultimately grounded in verse 25 about not neglecting to meet together. Don't neglect meet together. Implying that if you do neglect meeting together, it will threaten all three of those other things in your life. And threaten your walk with Christ altogether. 
So before we think about the, the, the first reason, um, I just want to point out for a second that if we're thinking about this whole passage we just read, I think a lot of, a lot of people might see the riches in verses 19 to 21 and, and almost give that all of their attention. Look at those verses, verses 19 to 21 with me again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I mean, that's, that, that is an incredible summary. If, you, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, that's an incredible summary uh, of, of the message of Hebrews up to this point in the book. Uh, if you could, he had to summarize the book of Hebrews in, in just one word, which I don't, I think that's silly to have to do that, but better might be the word. Better. Jesus is better than everything you saw in the Old Testament. He, he, and the, the, this, these verses lay out some of those ways. Um, uh, look at verse 19. That, that's his summary of all that he's already said, showing that Jesus was a better sacrifice. He was a greater sacrifice than all of those in the Old Covenant. That, 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 that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. They never were sufficient. That's why, that's why they offered them over and over and over again. But when Christ offered himself once for all, he's a better sacrifice. But then, 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 then you look at verse 20 and you can see that he's summarizing all that he's already said. How Jesus is a better temple. He's a greater temple than the Old Testament ever knew. And he, just a, a little flashback, he's, he up to this point has argued in two basic ways that Jesus' death and resurrection uh, accomplished the final verdict for forgiveness uh, in heaven for believing sinners, but that Jesus himself is the temple. That's the point. He is God with man. In the Old Testament, it was a place where God met with man. In, 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 in Christ, it's a person, right? And it's why John says in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I know as Pastor Brian has said many times, that word translated dwelt there is, is, is the same word tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. He, he was the living embodiment of the tabernacle. God and man in one person. But then you look at verse 21, and you see how he's summarizing what he said about Jesus being a better priest, right? Again, as I've already alluded to, he doesn't have to offer his sacrifices over and over again. He, he did it once for all. Uh, yeah, accomplishing all things in his own death. All three of those things, greater priest, greater temple, greater sacrifice. Those have been the themes for the last five chapters in Hebrews. And he's drawing all of those truths. Look at what we have in Christ. He is drawing all of those things up in this one final summary. And of course, every one of those things I just said is true. It's true. of uh, we, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He has opened up the way for us to be forgiven by God of all of our sins. He has made it possible for us to know His presence in our lives and to know that He's interceding for us constantly as our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession. Every bit of that is true about Jesus, but the problem is, is not with the text, it, it is with us. If there is a tendency in us, as I alluded to earlier, 
If there is a tendency in us right now, it is the, the, the tendency, contrary to the intention of this text, to think about all that I just said in a very individualistic way. I have the confidence to enter the holy places through the blood of Jesus. He opened up a new and living way for me. I have a great high priest who ever lives to intercede for me. It's just me and Jesus. And as true as that is, and in, in the sense that if you are trusting in, in Christ, all of those things, He is all of those things for you, individually, personally. He is. And the Scripture says that much in so many places. That's not exactly how it's said here. It's not. There aren't any eyes in this passage we read, but there are a lots of us's and we's. A lot of us's and we's. In verses 19 to 21, about what Jesus has done for us, this summary in those three, in those three verses, they lead into this great crescendo in verses 22 to 25 of three wonderful admonitions to us about what what Jesus has done means for not just me and you, us. Us. And what we together should do because of what Jesus has done for us. This is a passage that cannot be understood apart from the church. And it's a passage that cannot be obeyed apart from the church. So let's think about the three reasons given here in this passage that the local church is why it's so important and necessary in our lives. In our Christian life, in our walk with Christ, let's think first about that, this, this reason, that God has designed the local church to confirm your faith, to confirm it. Look with me again at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now the phrase that I want to I draw your attention to in that phrase, because every, I mean, every, every phrase is, is so beautiful and important, but the phrase I want to draw your attention to is that phrase, full assurance of faith. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Um, and that, 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 that means exactly what it sounds like. The Lord doesn't merely want us to repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. But having done that, He desires us to have the full assurance of faith. To know that we are forgiven in Christ. To know that we have peace with God. To know it. To be confident in it. To be sure that we are in Christ. We are accepted in Him. When Paul says in Colossians 3 that your life is hidden with Christ in God, you can know that's, that's you. That's you and if you're in Christ. The question that this passage is trying to answer is how do we have that? And the reason I say that's a question that it's answering is because it's interesting to me that, that this verse, verse 22, says, it's admonishing us, 
let us draw near, draw near in full assurance of faith. It's, it's admonishing us to do that in light of what he already said in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places. So according to verse 19, we have confidence in Christ already. That is the indicative, settled gospel truth. That is, that is as it is written in heaven. Okay? But how it always appears in my heart and mind is not always that confident for a number of reasons. Now in verse 22, and it's because of that reality, I believe that verse 22, he knows, the author of Hebrews knows somehow that regardless of the settled truth in heaven in verse 19, the author of Hebrews knows in verse 22 that we are still at times practically and experientially in need of the full assurance of faith. As we draw near to God, we don't always feel it. Why? I don't always feel it. Why might that be? Well, well, one reason might, might be because Scripture tells us in places like Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? That might get in the way. Our feelings are all over the place. We listen to our feelings sometimes, many too, too many times. So many people, when they're sitting by themselves, and they, they know, hey, I, I, I repented of my sins, I, tr I trusted Christ, they still don't feel forgiven. They don't feel like God is close. They don't feel accepted in Christ. They don't feel the full assurance of faith. They don't feel, I don't feel, I don't feel. What am I going to do when it's just, if it's just me, my Bible, my cup of coffee, and I don't feel it, what am I to do? Here's what you need. You need other people. You need other people. I need other people outside myself speaking into me, speaking to me. Uh, and not just speaking anything, not just about the Braves doing so great, which they are, chop on, but speaking truth into my life. And that's what we receive every Sunday we gather. And by well, so every Wednesday we gather, and a lot of little things in, in between the week. Every time we gather, this is, what we, this is what we receive. We hear the promises of the gospel. Not just me trying to remind myself with my conflicted mind, but somebody else saying it to me. Saying the promises of the gospel again and again. We hear it in the preaching of the Word. We hear it in our Sunday school classes. We, we hear it in songs we sing. And there is something uniquely powerful as a means of God's grace to us, not simply to read, the, read the, quietly the Scriptures alone in our room, but to hear it powerfully and, 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 and authoritatively and confidently preached to us, to hear it clearly taught to us, to sing it in the presence of a thousand brothers and sisters. All those are incredibly means of, powerful means of grace in our lives. Jesus prayed for us in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And that's how we're sanctified. And, 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 and as we hear the word again, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. But he's, he's also designed it to be done in this 
public outward way because that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 10, 17. Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. A lot of times we shortchange that verse right there because we only read it in a missionary kind of way. It is true. How will they hear unless someone goes and preaches? And how can they preach unless they are sent? That is Paul's line of, of reasoning there. But that verse 17 is not just talking about first-time faith. As if the only time faith comes by hearing is the first time you hear it. Why do we stop there? If it's true that faith comes by hearing, faith comes by hearing. And, and where do we hear the word over and over again? Here. Here. And so we are confirmed in our faith and we grow into the full assurance of faith, as verse 22 puts it, by being faithfully and committedly present with the church week after week after week as the, as the most important thing of our week, that we plan the rest of our week and weekend around hearing the truth of the gospel preached to us and taught over us over and over again and singing it back to God in worship. These are the only eternal things. And that's exactly, that, what I just said is exactly, I think, the, the, what this passage has in mind. Because there are three consecutive verses here that begin with the words, let us. Let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider. And they're all elaborated on in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. And, and I think it's applicable to each one. So in this case, how do you learn to draw near with, with full assurance of faith? The answer of verse 25 is don't neglect to meet together. Why? To hear His Word again and again and again. To pray His Word, to sing His Word, to be encouraged by brothers and sisters, to experience in a physical way the promises of His Word in little cups like that. When our feelings are, when our feelings are all over the place, um, it is an intense comfort to hear every week the gospel that doesn't ever change um, and to have people speaking that truth into our lives. There's too much of a battle uh, often going on in our minds to, to do that on our, on our own. I need other people speaking in the truth into my life. And if you never feel that battle going on in your life, I think that's all the more reason you need to be present. I find it in the church. And it's not just to confirm my faith, but to guard it. God has designed the local church to help you guard your faith. That's something that we're helped by. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's a beautiful verse. The, hold fast, hold fast is the, is the main, that's the main verb. You want to hold fast. But I think a key phrase there is without wavering. Without wavering. Uh, the confession of our hope, holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. But almost just as important as those words are the words in that verse, us and our. Us and our, rather than you and your, or me and mine, 
Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. We do it together. And hold fast the confession of our hope. It's not just my hope and your hope. We have the same hope. Let's hold fast to that hope together. We share it together. Well, what, what confidence can we have that we will, we will hold that confession all the way to the end? Well, we have the promise of God for sure. The answer given in verse 20, uh, 23 Verse 23. Yep, yep. 23. We, it says, For he who promised is faithful. That's the reason you can be sure that you will hold fast to your confession to the end. He promised it. It's going to happen. It's not like, it's, not like uh, it's by his grace and promise that we get in and it's by our good works that we stay in. No, it's his promise from beginning to end. But I think the, 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 the aim of this passage is to say, how does the Lord work out that effectiveness of his promise in your life in real time? How does he, how does he, make, how does he make that promise effective in your life in, in this dry season of my life? How do, in this dry season, how do I know I'm not going to abandon my, my, my confession, or that during this really hard time of my life, I don't abandon, abandon my confession, or when I'm so aware of how sinful I am and I feel the deep weight of the shame of that, how practically in that moment do I not abandon my confession out of despair? Answer, it's not I and me, it's us and we. Let us hold fast without wavering. You need other people. Because other people, other people, believe it or not, probably just came through the dry season you're going through. Um, and, and they're ready, to, they're ready to, to, to talk you through it. They're also in a hard season of their life, just like you are. And, and you pray through it together. And, you know, they've already gone through whatever struggle you're in, and, and you're able to walk through it together and, 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 and talk through it with them. I, God did not... God did not just give you a promise to keep you persevering in your faith. He gave you a people. It's not one or the other. It's both and. The people is the local church. Again, made up of people just like you and people not like you even a little bit. Who both, but who both share your same confession of hope and help you persevere without wavering. And again, it's achieved by verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. We need, to resist the, we need to resist any temptation that comes our way to prioritize any, any weekend excursion over the gathering with the local church. We need to also resist the temptation, if we do attend church, that we try to do it as anonymously as we possibly can. I mean, the usher doesn't even see us to pass the plate, you know. Um, we need to be present in church so regularly and so intentionally invested in it that you know people and they know you. You expect them to be there. They expect you to be there. They notice it when you're gone and love you enough to ask, is everything okay? And you do the same for them. Right? The local church works in your life to, 
not just to confirm it, but to guard it when, we, when someone seems to be straying or growing lax. Or it just appears that way, and everything's fine. I mean, you're encouraged because somebody asked. It guards your faith. But lastly, it gives you a place by God's design to practice your faith. God has designed the local church to give you the opportunity to practice your faith. Not that you can't practice your faith, you and the Holy Spirit out in the world. No, you, uh, it, it must be that way, yes, because we're not together all the time. Um, but the New Testament envisions more than that, more than just me and the Holy Spirit out in the world. Um, because the, the New Testament very just overtly and, all, and regularly throughout all the letters, it, 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 it sees your faith being lived out with a very specific group of people um, called a local church. Because the admonition of verse 24, and that would make sense, right? Because not only are you called to bear witness to Christ yourself, we are called to bear witness to Christ as Lakeview Baptist Church in how we love and live together. Right? You bear witness and we together bear witness. But the admonition of verse 24, and how do we bear witness? By how we love and live. Okay, so verse 24 says, Let us consider, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Man, that ought to, I mean, brass tacks, that ought to be the thought that we're having as we're as we park the car and are walking across the parking lot to come into the church on Sunday morning, who can I, who can I stir up to love and good works this morning? And what good works are we talking about? What good works? Well, surely a good place to start are all the one another, one another commands in the New Testament that you absolutely ha you have to have the church in order to obey them. You don't have to just just I'm not you're not they're not going to be on the screen. You don't have to try to write them all down. If you're just furiously trying to write down all I'm about to say, you're going to miss all of it. Just let it wash over you. Romans 12:10, outdo one another in showing honor and love one another in brotherly affection. Romans 12:16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 15:7, Welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Romans 16, 6, greet one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, comfort one another and agree with one another. Galatians 5, 13, through love serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.2, bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.16, teach and admonish one another. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, abound in love with one, for one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. James, uh, 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 
First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, love one another from, from, from honest, love them honestly from a pure heart. First Peter 4.8, keep loving one another earnestly. We have to be told that. First Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. First Peter 4.10, serve one another. First Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of these one another passages, as true as it would be, don't just say, do this to people generally. It's, it is true. Do this to people. And there's, not a, there's, not a, there's never a time with anybody you should never serve them. It is true, but that's not what it says. This, this is not saying this. It's not saying here that this is the way that we ought to act toward people generically. As true as that is, these verses all say act this way with one another. This group. Yeah. It implies a definite group of people. In other words, it has the church in mind. And I left out one, one more, one another. It's the passage 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Part of the way you demonstrate that you know God and love Him is the way you love His church. And you got to be here to do that, which you do according to the very, like verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, as we come, based on that, to observe the Lord's Supper at the end of our service, we're reminded in this meal... We're reminded of yet another way um, the importance and necessity of meeting together is as the church. Because I, I want to say this, the, the Scripture never envisions believers observing the Lord's Supper alone. Unless, unless there's no church in the place, it doesn't even necessarily envision you doing it with your, your, your family. Unless your family is the church in that place. In, in the college ministry, we never take the Lord's Supper in our missional community groups because we ain't the whole church. The Lord left this meal to the whole church. And, uh, and, and Scripture envisions we, the church, doing this when we do it together. Um, this is an ordinance that, that the Lord left to the church. You see, he left two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism brings the one into the many. The Lord's Supper reminds the many that we are one. Right? And, 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 and in Paul's instructions on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in those few verses, he used the phrase, when you come together, five times. Five times. And Paul told the Corinthians that when they come together, not to observe the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That doesn't mean that we have to make ourselves worthy. That would undercut 
the whole meaning of the meal. We can't make ourselves worthy. Only Jesus can do that. Through his sinless life laid down for us on the, on the cross, which this ordinance remembers through his resurrection from the dead, through repentance and faith, uh, repentance of our sins and faith in his sacrifice for us, we can have our sins forgiven and have the assurance of peace with God. And hence, because that's what this meal represents, this is a meal for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, have been baptized by immersion upon that profession of faith, and are members in good standing at an evangelical church. So when Scripture says not to come in an unworthy manner, it has to do with the manner in which we're coming. What would be, what would be unworthy manners in which to come? Flippantly? Um, proudly? Unrepentantly? Half-heartedly? I mean, you can think of ways. So before we observe this meal together, we need to make sure that we come with repentant hearts. And so for a few moments, I want each of us to just take a few moments to privately before the Lord confess our sins to the Lord, repent, and then I will close this time uh, in, a, in a corporate prayer of repentance. Would you bow in prayer?